You are listening to the Clergy Chick Podcast. My name is Rhonda Blevins. I'm the Clergy Chick. From November the 10th, 2019 at Chapel by the Sea in Clearwater Beach, Florida, the text is Luke chapter 20, verses 27 through 38. Some Sadducees, those who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus and asked him a question. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife but no children, the man shall marry the widow and raise up children for his brother. Now, there were seven brothers. The first married and died childless. Then the second and the third married her, and so in the same way, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now, in the resurrection, therefore, whose wife will the woman be? For the seven had married her. Jesus said to them, Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. But those who are considered worthy of a place in that age and in the resurrection from the dead neither marry nor are given in marriage. Indeed, they cannot die anymore because they are like angels and are children of God, being children of the resurrection. And the fact that the dead are raised, Moses himself showed in the story about the bush where he speaks of the Lord as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. Now, he is God not of the dead, but of the living. For to him, all of them are alive. Let's have a little fun. How many Baptists does it take to change a light bulb? <laughs> it takes 15, one to change the light bulb, and three committees to approve the change. Any Baptists in the house? Nobody wants to admit that. How many Episcopalians does it take to change a light bulb? Ready? One to call the electrician, one to pour the sherry. <laughs> And six, to say how much they like the old light bulb better. (laughs) How many charismatics does it take to change a light bulb? Well, just one, since its hands are already in the air. (laughs) I like that one. It's my favorite. How many Methodists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, it's undetermined. Whether your light is bright, dull, or completely out, you are loved. You can be a light bulb, a turnip bulb, or a tulip bulb. Churchwide lighting service will be next week. Bring a bulb of your choice and a covered dish. Love to the Methodists. How many Presbyterians, Scott, does it take to change a light bulb? 
Well, none, because lights will go on and off at predestined times. <laughs> How many TV evangelists does it take to change a light bulb? Only one, but for the message of light to continue, please send a donation today. <laughs> Terry Blevins, how many Lutherans does it take to change a light bulb? Change? What? Change? <laughs> how many Amish does it take to change a light bulb? What's a light bulb again? What is <laughs> And finally, a little closer to home, perhaps, how many interdenominationalists does it take to change a light bulb? Well, none, because we don't want to make the light bulb feel unwelcomed or uncomfortable. <laughs> we want to do that. Oh, there's so many more. I could go on. <laughs> I think it's good to poke a little fun of ourselves from time to time and our differences. And here at Chapel by the Sea, we're interdenominational and we, we welcome all the many traditions and folks with different denominational backgrounds into this one family of faith. And I give thanks for that seminary professor who pointed out that all of the denominations have a role to play within Christendom. That like the colors of a rainbow are all reflecting the same light. The various denominations give each of God's children a, a home, depending on who they are and their preferences and ideas. So we give thanks for all the denominations. And here at the chapel, we bring them here into this one place, and we bring, hopefully, the best of those traditions under the lordship of Jesus Christ. And it's a, a beautiful thing. And it's a beautiful thing that we shouldn't ever take for granted, for the church in every age has seen its conflicts, has it not? And in fact, it's conflict that sets the stage for this story that, we, that I read just a moment ago from the Gospel of Luke. You see, Jesus was a Jew, right? And the Jews during Jesus' day were in conflict. And you know what the conflict was about? The resurrection of the dead. And so some Sadducees came to Jesus and they said, this crazy story about this woman who has to marry these five brothers. Now, don't get me wrong, I love my brothers-in-law, but I don't want to marry them. That would just be creepy and weird, right? But to understand this passage, it helps to know a little bit of, an, of, of a law, an arcane Jewish law called leveret marriage. I'm not going to get too deep into the woods here, but basically the law was set in order to protect women who were, for the most part, property during that day and time, right? During a marriage, what would happen is a father would transfer property, transfer ownership of a woman to a man in marriage, and that man would become her husband and then was responsible to care for her. And if he passed before she did, and they didn't have any male children who would then assume responsibility for caring for the mother, then the brother of the deceased husband was required to marry her in order to give her protection, make sure she wasn't destitute. And so in this crazy story the Sadducees came up with, they said, well, what if she ends up marrying... They all die. This black widow woman, right? They, they all die. 
Who's she going to marry in the resurrection, Jesus? The thing is, they didn't believe in the resurrection. It's an absurd argument. They don't even believe in it. In Latin, it's called a reductio ad absurdum, a nonsense story, trying to prove a point. Well, let me ask you women here, how many of you would enjoy that system? (laughs) Nobody? What? Well, maybe we could give thanks. Maybe we don't enjoy complete equal opportunity quite yet, but at least we're not property, right? Transferred from one brother to another to another. I love your brothers. I do. I don't want to marry your brothers, honey. So they didn't even believe in the resurrection. This was the ultimate gotcha question for Jesus. It's a ridiculous argument. It's kind of like arguing over how many angels can dance on the head of a pin. There's no point to arguing such things. And yet here they are arguing over this, and Jesus kind of sets them straight. I'm glad that in today's day and time we don't argue over silly stuff. (laughs) Okay, okay, we argue over silly stuff all the time. In fact, I think it's amplified, brought to you by social media. In fact, I argue over silly stuff all the time myself. Just this past week, during the whole mother routine in the mornings, right, you drag the kids out of bed, you stuff some food in their mouths, you make sure they don't stink and that their teeth are brushed, and and then you make sure all of their 100 million papers are in their binder for middle school, and then you, you, you rush out the door, you get in the car, and you drive the car. I've got this... Seven foot five, 12, 12 year old in my house. <laughs> okay, maybe he's not seven five. He's about three inches taller than me. He's becoming a man, like he's got this deep voice and this, this thing on his neck. What's that, Adam's apple? And there's hair and places there didn't use. Right, he's becoming a man. This boy is becoming a man, and he's beginning to care about how he looks on occasion. <laughs> And so we do this whole morning routine, and it's always so, just come on, come on, go, guys, go, go, go. Get in the car, get in the car, go. That's mornings at my house. Don't you want to come see what it's like? So I've got a kindergartner. When he dropped the kindergartner off, and I look over at my man boy sitting in the passenger seat, and his hair is just a He's not combed his hair. So I was like, all that, and you still haven't combed your hair. And so being super mom, I have about a half dozen combs in the car. I'm prepared for just this occasion. So I get out a comb, and at the stoplight, I reach over to comb his hair, and he does this number. <laughs> I said, come on, you look like a werewolf in a hurricane. Let me, let me comb your hair. He's like, no, 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 I'm good. I was like, honey, you look bad. Let me comb your hair. No, no, no. I said, well, you comb your hair. No, my hair is fine. Finally, I threaten him. Well, you don't get to play video games tonight if you don't comb your hair. He combed his hair. And I won. Or did I? Was combed hair really worth the argument with someone I love? Or was it a little ridiculous to argue over a messy head of hair? You see, we argue over inconsequential things all the time. Maybe I'm not the only one who who does this. And when the Sadducees come to Jesus, they're arguing over something just ridiculous. But what most commentators miss in this story, I'm going to point out to you. 
Jesus kind of says, you know, this argument, this really doesn't matter. There's something else more important that matters. Jesus subtly says, this argument over resurrection of the dead, who knows? It's, it's out there. It's beyond. But there's something in this age that matters. We live in an age, Jesus is saying to them, when women are transferred like, like property. Listen again to what he says. Subtle. Those who belong to this age marry and are given in marriage. There's ownership of people in this age. But in the age to come, those who are considered worthy of a place and in the resurrection from the dead, they don't marry, nor are they given in marriage. There won't be a transfer of property. There won't be a system where women are owned by men. That's what matters. The silly argument, not important. A few years ago, a fellow named Richard Carlson published a book called Don't Sweat the Small Stuff. And the title gives away the point of the book. Don't sweat the small stuff, and it's all small stuff. And it's a great little book, and I, I open it from time to time and remind myself some of the truisms in there, like these nuggets of wisdom. Choose to be kind over being right, and you'll be right every single time. Learning to stop sweating the small stuff involves deciding what things to engage in and what things to ignore. You don't have to get sucked into every argument, you don't. The key to a good life is this. If you're not going to talk about something during the last hour of your life, then don't make it a top priority during your lifetime. Wisdom. We can disagree even on important issues and still love one another. True. We need to break the habit of overreacting because of our speedy assumptions and judgments. Here's another one. When you let go of your expectations, when you accept life as it is, you're free. To hold on is to be serious and uptight. To let go is to lighten up. And finally, stress is nothing more than a socially acceptable form of mental illness. <laughs> is anybody mentally ill in the... So here at the chapel, we try not to sweat the small stuff. We try not to let all the arguments of the day make its way into this hallowed ground. So we don't do a lot of arguing about how many angels can dance on the head of a pen. We don't even fuss about the best way to be baptized. Some of us were, were dunked as believers and some of us were sprinkled as, as babies and, and that's okay. We don't argue over... Whether the virgin birth was literal, metaphorical, or maybe not at all, we just don't argue about stuff like that. Doctrines and creeds, they're all man-made, so we don't get too worked up about much of it. We would rather be kind than to be right. We'd rather encourage than rebuke. We'd rather love than judge. We'd rather be together than alone in our correctness. We're not perfect here at Chapel by the Sea, but, but we're trying to find our way. 
And we think that coming together like we're doing this morning helps us on our way of faith. It's not a perfect way, but it is beautiful because we're together on it. We don't let the creeds, the doctrines, we don't argue about all that. We remember what Jesus said was most important. Number one, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, our soul, our mind, and our strength. And what? Number two, to love our neighbor as ourself. Everything else, angels dancing on the head of a pin. Thanks for tuning in to the Clergy Chick Podcast. Until next time, keep on shining.